Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. I am Justin Sloan. I'm P.T. Hilton. And I am Paul Zeidman. And Justin, who's our special guest today? Today we have Nick Thacker. People might remember him from an old show I used to do with Nick and Kevin Templeton called the Self-Publishing Answers podcast. Spa for fun, because <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. I see there's now a Spa Girls podcast out there, too. I thought that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I noticed I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to copy us. Is uh, it exactly the same as yours was? Well, just um, we just changed our voices. Just, yeah, I was going to say, we just changed our voices a little <laughs> Okay. We do fun? it most. We answered all the questions, so we had to stop doing the podcast. There were no yeah. more. We, we gave everybody all the answers. So Makes sense. <laughs> no, thanks for having me on again. I'm I'm excited to be here, and I uh, haven't been doing podcasts for a while, so it's going to be kind of fun. I hope I, I hope I remember how to do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you will do great. Um, so, Nick, we always start off a show with talking about what we've been up to lately. So, like as far as watching something, reading something, uh, playing something. So, uh, we'll give you a chance to think about that, that while while we talk about what we've been uh, sure. into. So, anything exciting on our end, guys? I watched um, Code 8 this morning. Uh, it's like a superhero kind of movie. Well, people with superpowers, and they get into crime, and it kind of had a training day feel. So, I recommend it. Fun. It's on Netflix, I think. I don't think I've heard of that one. It just came out, I think. So, it's, it's, It sounds vaguely familiar, but maybe I'm getting that mixed up with the uh, the one that Wachowskis did a couple of years ago. Oh, maybe yeah. that, was, that was Sense8, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am uh, reading uh, 40 Acres by our former guest of the show, Dwayne Alexander-Smith. It's super good. I'm really impressed. It's a kind of a thriller. They, I think they describe it as kind of the firm meets Get Out. It's kind of a uh, thriller with this lawyer who's uh, this young black guy who's kind of getting uh, gets in with this, this uh, kind of potentially shady group of, of really successful people. Um, it's, it's, it's good. It's got some cool twists so far. Very well written. Sounds cool. And we uh, we decided to like kind of delve deep into the movies on our Netflix queue that have just kind of been sitting there for a while. And so we dug up a movie from 2007 called American Zombie, which is, uh, I guess you'd call it a mockumentary. Like uh, zombies are another class of society and it's all in Los Angeles. You know, it's probably like a micro budget feature. And it uh, was a little disappointing at the end or at least some it left some questions unanswered but you know overall it was it started off a little slow but it really picks up pretty much like once they get into the second act and then it's just a lot of twists and turns but you know it, it was a, i gave it a three out of five stars it was okay but you know I finally got we're glad we checked it off the list we have been um going through hulu shows we've never had hulu before and my brother pointed out that on our family plan we share uh through sprint T-Mobile, whatever it is now, we get free Hulu. So we've been burning through a bunch of those. And um, after that, when Emily goes to bed, I typically, sometimes, will stay up and um, play some video games. And I'm not much of a gamer, so I'm kind of late to the party with a lot of this. Um, I don't get a lot of time to do it, but I just found um, Dirt Rally 2.0. And uh, it's really cool. It's a very relaxing uh, way of... It's a very it's a very stressful way of relaxing myself, I should say. <laughs> it's very active. Try to be uh, it, it's try to be more like an emulator than a race game, racing game, and it seems to be pretty accurate in that. That's been fun. Awesome, sounds like a good time. I, I've been trying to get into some video games too, actually, since we're on that topic. Uh, 
it's it's been um it's it's my new way of relieving stress and like kind of getting out of my yes. head a little bit yeah just playing yeah. like beat saber and like these ones where you can just kind of lose yourself in it you know that was uh, a rocket league for me i was real big into rocket league for a while for 15 minute stress increments you know <laughs> nice nice Nice. All right. Well, Nick, uh, some people on this show listening might have no idea who you are. Do you want to give us a little spiel? <laughs> sure. I mean, while I doubt that's true, um, yeah. I can certainly give a little spiel for, for, for those one or two listeners who may have just discovered um, the Internet today. Um, I am Nick Thacker, and I write thrillers. I've been doing it full time for about three years. The uh, books I write are kind of in the same vein of, uh, like I like to call them, Indiana Jones meets National Treasure uh, so Dan Brown, James Rollins, those are kind of the big wigs in, in that genre. Um, they're better at it than I am, but I'm I'm working on it. Um, been doing that for a long time and um, been been moderately successful at it enough to uh, leave my full time day job and my wife left her job. And so um, we are currently in Colorado Springs trying to move to Hawaii. We've been been out in Hawaii for the last two winters. Uh, so we're kind of trying this like semi nomadic lifestyle of having a house for a little while and then moving to another one, trying different things, uh, which is different. It's, it's new and it's quite the adventure for us. Very nice. Great. And what would be your uh, main ones that you think people should read if they have never read one years before? That's a great question right now um, because I have a book that I wrote in, I think it was 2014 it was published. It's called The Enigma Strain. It's by far my best-selling book. Um, it's the first in a series of what will be nine books in about um, a week or two. And it's really interesting right now because it's about a virus that takes out half the U.S. population. And uh, it tends to be sort of um, apocryphal in some ways. <laughs> um, this, this whole thing's your idea then? <laughs> this was my idea. It was a really expensive marketing strategy. <laughs> Wow. Well, it certainly <laughs> paid off for you. Uh, actually, I was going to ask you, so, you know, uh, seeing as how that's what the book is about, like, are you seeing any similarities about what you wrote about to what you're seeing today? You know, that's a really good question. I, I am. And what's really funny about it, it and I'm kind of giving away the ending here, but basically in my <laughs> book, to defeat this virus, um, you actually, it's sort of like um, the Zaracella uh, zoster um, virus, which is chickenpox. It's very similar in the way it's it sort of gets to a certain point inside of some inside the host um, as a vector and it, it loses its contagiousness and then eventually it dies out and you can actually speed that process up by being close to other people by basically sharing the load in a, in a sense um, balancing a server in some ways um, and so it's sort of like the opposite of what we're seeing now where it's like isolate get away from people you know let it just sort of die away on its own um, my book it sort of does the opposite thing and it says Nope. Get everybody to get it real quick, and no one will die from it if you can if you can handle that. Wow, that's great. And what would you say? So you kind of write more like the uh, you, you tend to write a lot of these like tre kind of treasure hunt books, right? Would you say that's accurate? Uh, I, I would. Yeah, that was what I initially set out to do. I think I've drifted from that a little bit, and I miss it. I'm going to get back to that with um, a couple series that I'm trying to launch later this year with some co-writers. Awesome. Um, it's just. Yeah, because I, I, I love that. That was what that's kind of the bread and butter of what I like to read in any way is, you know, we want to do something like when he goes and finds the Fountain of Youth or they go and find um, sort of Excalibur and just the things like that around the world that are based in real legend and real myth and have some real science behind them possibly um, and then just make a fictional account about it. 
that's absolutely what I what I love to do. Nice. Yeah, those are there's a lot of fun to read and to watch and all that stuff. Um, sure. So, what would you say is like the main uh, difference between that and like uh, men's adventure or men's action or these kind of like James Bond's type stories for people who are have never read any of these? Um, you know, I think a lot of times the pace and the tone feels about the same. Um, so the, the the people could describe both of those types of books as fast paced. Um, there's similarities there. Typically, men's adventure is the men's point of view, right? The main character is a, is a male. My books are the same because I'm a male, so I figure I can write from that perspective better than if I were to try to do a main character as a female. Not that it can't be done. I'm just not good enough for it. Um, but my books have not just an element of male swagger um, like the James Bond type stuff would, but it also has that um, either MacGuffin or or actual um, whatever the opposite of MacGuffin would be. like, Where a red herring would just be sort of is what you think they're after, but they end up not being after that. Um, my books in this particular treasure hunt genre usually find the treasure or find something that represents the treasure. Um, and so there's some fun in that. It's not just running around and killing bad guys or preventing preventing themselves from being killed by bad guys. Um, it's preventing themselves from being killed by bad guys while also finding something that's really, really cool and really fun to find. And usually there's some puzzle elements in there. Um, it's like walking around playing. It's like a Nathan Drake book, you know. Very cool. People I'm who curious. don't know what Nathan Drake is, uh, Uncharted, right? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Uncharted. I, yeah, should have said that. Okay. Uh, actually, I, I have a couple of questions because uh, I will admit I'm the one who, you know, just I'm sure you know Justin and PT. I was not that familiar with your work until Justin brought you up. So I'm very curious, like how you started writing your books because you said you've been doing it full time for three years. But I was you know, I was going through your Amazon page, and you know your books go back a little beyond that. So like, how did you get started? Were you just kind of like, you know, I just want to, I've got a book in me. I want to, you know, sit down, you know just kind of work on it in my spare time and then you published it and was getting good reviews or like how did how did you kind of like start the uh the nick thacker line <laughs> uh yeah no that's pretty much it i i had read these books the, this style and this genre like i said dan i mentioned dan brown um i discovered this whole world of new fiction um right about high school college and just started reading it and couldn't get enough of it and so the tropes started to kind of lodge themselves in my mind. I started to understand what the genre's expectations were. Um, and so fast forward about 10 years, I decided to start writing a book in 2011. Um, and I wanted to give it to my dad for Christmas. And that was the whole, the whole purpose mm. of it was my, his father had passed away who, you know, my grandfather, and we all love to share novels and read together and stuff, uh, read the same books and everything. And so I thought, well, how hard can it be? All these other, other do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear, I, I honestly, um, and the joke is, of course, it was far more difficult than I ever imagined. Had I known how difficult it was, I never would have done it. Um, so I like to joke that I tried to, um, I tried to just naively go forward with new things because if I knew knew about how difficult they were, I would never accomplish anything. So um, that was really it. I, I started writing that book, and it was crap. But I had a friend <laughs> who edited it for free and got it into shape. And about the same time, I had, I, I kind of had thought I would do the traditional publishing route or at least query and see if I can get an agent and all that. Um, but I started discovering um, Amazon's Kindle program, Kindle Unlimited or Kindle Direct Publishing. And so I threw it in there. I thought, why not? We'll see what happens. And nothing happened, but it was cool that I could just get a book published immediately and make actual money from it. Um, so as it happens, you know, I thought that was the only book I would ever write. 
So I tried to put all the really good ideas into it, but inevitably there were just ideas that didn't fit as mm -hmm. I wrote that book. And over the course of the, the process, I had all these other ideas that I would write down um, in an Evernote folder or something. And that became sort of like a swipe file for my later books. Right. Um, Depths followed that book. That was one of the ideas that I had while writing The Golden Crystal. And so it just um, went on from there. And the third book I wrote was The Enigma Strain. And that was the one that started to actually sell and make some decent money, you know, mm -hmm. dozens of dozens of dollars a month instead of, you know, uh, <laughs> single dollars. single dollars. So uh, I'm sorry, which which was the the very first book you put up? Yeah, so you got that. So it was the Golden Crystal, which I've since relaunched as the Atlantis Stone. Uh huh. Okay. Try to hit it, hit a better genre target and cover design and things like that. So I rewrote a lot of it. Um, probably about 20 percent of it is 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 new. Um, mostly just fixing um, to make it more in in line with my style now. For my my quality now i should say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because i like i said i was going through your uh, your amazon page i mean the, and uh, before we got on the call i was talking to pt that you know i was going through all your titles and what's really impressive impressive is not just how prolific you are but i mean it's a, it seems to be such a wide variety of genres because i'm looking like you know here temple of the state temple of the snake and archaeological mystery glimpse a new world so i mean you've got like adventure and it sounds like you've got sci-fi and there's one i guess like tropical mysteries or something like that you know uh-huh I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of i'm just going based based on the title and the, the cover images so i mean like is this are these just like all genres that you really enjoy and you just thought you know i want to write a story or you know, I came up with a character and there's so many great scenarios I can put that character in. Well, it's more the first thing, um, the former. It, it was kind of accidental. It, had I known, again, no, knowing what I know now, I don't think I would have so quickly moved into like sci-fi or um, archaeological thrillers. Now what I do is very much around the action adventure, maybe archaeological thriller kind of bent. Um, I've got plenty of ideas I want to do for sci-fi, but I'm I'm really trying to just get this main line of of styles of books, anyway, even if they're not the same uh, series, working really well before I try to segment a list and go for like sci-fi or something. But like you said, I've already done that, and so that was mostly accidental. I just thought, well, this didn't work. Let me try sci-fi, or this didn't work. Let me try doing a female point of view, you know, lead character. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a lot of similarities. That said, you know, there's. The pacing and the tone, I try to, I mean, it's me, I'm still writing all of these. And so I'm going to come through in, in any book I write, even if it's romance, it's probably going to be a fast paced romance with somebody trying to kill you. <laughs> they might find some treasure at the end. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think speaking to the, any, any new writers out there listening, I don't know that I would go back. If I could do it all over again, I would probably stick with the same genre mm -hmm. until I know that it didn't work or that it did work. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, and actually, I'll, I'll do my last question, then I'll hand it back to Justin P.T. I didn't mean to, you know, commandeer the conversation. So, you know, what's really fascinating to me is, especially when a writer writes about a world I don't know about, and, like, we've had other writers on, like, who've like, kind of lived in that, I don't want to say the area, but, like, we had a, a, another writer on who lives in the... Uh, the, the Gulf of Mexico area. And so he knows all about, you know, the goings on there. So like how, so I really want to know more about your, like your research process. So like when you're writing uh, like one of your tropical mysteries, I mean, how much research do you do? Do you just kind of like, you know, do a light thing and kind of take it from there? Or do you really go into it? That's a great question. Um, it does depend on the book. In the Harvey Bennett series, my sort of formula, if you, if I'm allowed to use a bad word, um, is to, uh, <laughs> to drop the, the the main character or characters into a situation in some exotic location 
and that's usually a place I've never been because I find it fascinating enough to want to write about it. Um, Antarctica, the Amazon rainforest, things like that. Um, and try to hunt down a bad guy who's got some kind of prototypical technology that could be really bad for the world um, in their hands. And so that's been the formula for that. And what I do for those books is if I have the time, and I, I typically try to make myself um, give, make myself take the time, is read a book or books on that particular area. Um, like for example, the um, the book River of Doubt about, about Theodore Roosevelt and his experience in the Amazon rainforest. Um, I also read um, I can't remember what it's called. It's some low area in the rainforest. There's a, a guy who goes and, and lives down there for a while, and I read this amazing biography of that just to get my, my, myself into the headspace of that place. Um, but for something else, like the tropical thrillers, I said that in Edisto or Edisto Beach, I'm not sure how to say it even, um, South Carolina. And that was just Google Maps, really. I just looked at it and <laughs> saw this is a good island, this is a real place, um, it's in America, and it's a small town, I, I got it. I, I'm pretty sure I know what a small town America is gonna feel like if it's on the coast. Um, there's gonna be things that aren't exactly accurate in there, where the gas station is that he he has a gunfight or shootout in or his actual bar doesn't exist in real life of course um but i heard one of my favorite authors james rollins i went to go meet him in person and someone asked that same question and he said it's really funny these days you can pop open google maps and look at if you're writing philadelphia and you've never been to philadelphia find a starbucks on the corner some street in some other street in philadelphia downtown and drop it in as your main character is running by or having a car chase um, your your readers will read that and go, oh my God, I know exactly where that Starbucks is. <laughs> mm -hmm. This guy knows exactly, this is Philadelphia. This, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, now, <laughs> it seems to be true as a reader because I read all his books and I know he's never been to all of the places that he's written about. Right. Um, but it's also worth noting that in the genre that I'm writing in, um, accuracy in the location is not as important as quality of the, the plot, the actual, actual story. And of course, characters and, and other things like that. If I'm writing historical fiction, it's probably more important to get those details right. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a, a uh, like a commenter or a reader write you and say, you know, I really like this story, except you got this one little detail wrong, or you know, or, you know, this street runs north, south, not east, west. Totally, I've actually had that before, and um, it's kind of funny. I've thankfully never had that. Well, that's not true. I've, I guess I've had it after a book's been published, but this is an iterative thing, right? We just upload the change and go about our day. And usually it's it's a one word or one sentence fix and, and we're good. And so I'll usually just thank him and do that and just make the change. But I have a reader who's on my street team and he reads, so he's a beta reader for me. He reads everything before it's published. He lives in Alaska where um, I have Harvey Bennett, uh, his main organization, Civilian Special Operations. He has a cabin there that's attached to this new CSO facility. Um, and so I actually dropped his cabin in the middle of the Chugach Reservation, um, this big area of land, there's nothing else there. And so I'm describing Highway 1 or Sewell Highway um, going up and down or whatever it's called, Seward, I think. And he wrote back and said, hey, you know, this highway, it has a bunch of cliffs on this side um, where he is. And he even pointed on the map. He was like, I'm pretty sure you're talking about Harvey's cabin being right here. And if that's the case, this highway looks like this. It was super helpful. And so I was like, yeah, I actually do want to describe that accurately because I imagine in my like where where his his cabin really is. And I'd, I'd love to get it right. So that's been really helpful to have people like that that will uh, um, either say, hey, this is really good. Change this one detail and you're golden or <laughs> it looks accurate to me and, you know, carry on. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. 
very cool. Hey, can you can you talk a little more about your your beta reader process, Nick? Because I know mm-hmm. I've got a um, a first book in, in a thriller series that's that just went out to beta readers. So this is really at the top of my mind. And I know I think you've got a pretty big uh, beta reader and street team. And I'm curious about a little bit more about how to use them. Do you like um, have like a form where you ask for specific feedback, or how how does that process work for you? Well, uh, for me, I try to keep it as simple as possible. It's a subset of my main mailing list. And once you're on, you sign up for my mailing list, you get a couple autoresponders. And one of them eventually is, do you want to get all my books for free? Um, and of course, everybody and their mom clicks yes to that. And they go to my website and they're met with a, a gotcha page. It's like, ah, well, you can get them for free only if you promise to leave me reviews and do the beta reader thing. Um, and so the people who make it through that um, I basically just require them to have left a review, good or bad, of one of my books and link to it um, so that I know they're actually reading my stuff and, and reviewing it. And then they just basically sign on the dotted line that says, yeah, I promise to do my, hold up my, my side of it and read the book. for." And, and so I try to keep that around 200 people at any given time because I've, I have found that I'm probably lucky to get about half of them actually leaving a review when I launch a book. Uh, I don't know why it's just that's it's a numbers game and so um any more than 200 it kind of becomes unmanageable any less and i'm not really getting any launch juice from it um everyone's numbers are probably a little different but that's sort of how i maintain it but i run them through um book funnel i, I use certified mail at book funnel which is a, one of the plans has that feature allowed so that lets me send email just to um the street team and then it actually reminds them um, a little while later to to read the book and download it and everything, and then when it's done, it automatically reminds them to read it. Uh, so it's super helpful. It's sort of an automated process, and I can track who's actually opening it and downloading the book, so I can yell at them if they don't. <laughs> nice. Do you give them like a like a, a certain amount of time you want them to read it in for to get you any two or feedback? Three weeks. Yeah, two or three weeks. Usually, I, I'm I'm very bad about sitting on a book. If I finished a book, like like first draft, the type of the end, I'm like, all right, let's publish it tomorrow. It's done, um, and it's so far from done. But um, I'm getting better now. But I I can't sit in a book for longer than a month. So I'm like, usually two to three weeks is about all I can do. Um, the anxiety just kills me. I need to get the book out there after that. So that's been that's been a, usually enough time for most beta readers to get get back to. Nice, very cool. Awesome. Hey, I'm curious too about your. Uh, you mentioned you've got some new series coming with a, with a co-writer or two. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like why you've got? Uh, obviously, your your Harvey Bennett series is doing great, and uh, why why is now the time to launch the new series and what your what your plan and thoughts behind that? Yeah, man. Um. Well, to be completely honest, I have never. I had never thought of myself um, being a full time writer. It it was always something that I just thought, well, I'd, I would write a book when I had time to do it. And so I've very quickly, in going full-time, I've very quickly realized my capacity limits, what I'm able to do, what I want to do. Um, I I have a lot of side projects going on. I'm always working on something different. Um, Can't really give details about some of it. Um, Right now I'm in the middle of a big business transaction, hopefully, that goes through. That'll be really cool. Um, But that's been taking up a lot of time. I have this company called Sonata Inscribe that makes soundtracks for books, uh, or book series. And so I've just got all these other things going on. And... I still want to have books coming out. Um, and so I just thought this would be a lot of fun and it would be easier on me um, to partner with someone who does like to do the writing and, and is a lot faster than I am at it. And um, we can knock out books by having them do um, a first draft or whatever after I've outlined and then I go back and write second draft type thing. Um, and that's been how we've approached a lot of these these 
50s 50 splits it's just we'll try to get the workload as evenly split as possible i'll usually do the marketing or front the dollars for advertising um and then i pay my publishing company just pays out every month and so um it's it's been really nice to be able to have books come out with my name on it that i'm certainly a part of the process but didn't have to sit you know do the entire thing from start to finish from scratch nice sir very cool. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask too, and you kind of already mentioned it, but I was going to ask about your your book soundtracks, and I, I think I saw that you uh, you'd put out a uh, an, an album for the recently in the last couple of weeks or so for the quarantine uh, that you did during the quarantine times. Um, but but uh, how does that whole process work with the the book soundtracks, and how do you pr- approach that? Um, it's so my, my degree was in music composition. I wanted to be a film score composer, and I realized pretty quickly that that was like saying I want to be a rock star. It's a lot of um, hard work and sacrifice and a little lot of, lot of luck as well. Um, moving to LA is part of it. I didn't want to do that. So uh, I ended up just moving into uh, a career. I knew I could just make a ton of money in writing books for, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I traded in something that didn't make any money for something that possibly made less money. So that's kind of right But uh, I always had, um, I've always had the love for music. I've worked in churches as a worship director for a long time. Um, it's always sort of been part of me and I had the technology and, you know, the know-how, um, to do studio recording, audio engineering, that kind of stuff. And so one day I was talking to a buddy of mine, it was actually Kevin Tomlinson. And I said, you know, I'm just, I I have all this stuff. I've got $10,000 worth of sound sample libraries on my computers and I can, I can like literally make a mock-up of an orchestra that sounds real. I should write a theme song for your your Dan Kotler series. And he was like, uh, yeah, 100%, do that. So I wrote one song, and he was like blown away by it. And I thought, this is kind of cool. I can actually hone this as, as a skill and potentially do this for other authors that have way too much money and want to spend it somehow. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They, they, they love it because they can sell it. So I've done one for Anderley. I've done two now for uh, Mal Cooper um, in their universes. And it's been really, really cool to see um, how Mal's taken it and gone to conventions with her book's music, right? And so she can sell those to readers who are already in love with the series, already know the characters, and now there's music that lines up with, um, you know, her main Tannis, her main character. Um, so that's where that all came from, and it was just something to do on the side. And um, right now, I'm not really doing much with it. I think the website even fell apart, so I have to put that back up. But um, like I said, it's just sort of a side hustle that's always been a dream of mine and it's pretty cool to be able to have an outlet for it now it's very similar to a, a doing a film score really nice that's awesome that's and that's a great option i think for people who who have a big audience for a, for a particular series especially that's that's awesome and how can people find you if they want to uh look into that as an option for uh, authors or maybe something related but not that yeah um that website like i said it's it was supposed to be up there and then i think i let the hosting lapse and then it died um <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that website will be sonataandscribe.com and my personal website nickthacker.com is a great way to just contact me um, and reach out and see what I'm kind of doing if, if anyone out there is interested in that sort of thing please send me an email love to chat and of course I've got a Facebook author page as well um, that I'm going to check every now and then so that's an option cool cool and uh, Nick and I have tried to work on things once or twice and I think we'll hopefully do something in the future so people need to stay tuned for that yeah i hope so <laughs> a little bit and gotta Someday. say i'm slammed right now but hopefully later this summer we can start really um really knocking something out that'd be a lot of fun to do yeah fingers crossed 
Um, all right. Uh, any any last bits of advice? Maybe uh, some key uh, pointers for somebody who wants to start writing a uh, treasure hunt, whatever adventure thriller type book. Go with your heart. You know that's that's really what it's about is figuring out um, what really intriguing, cool piece of history. Uh, and I don't think it really doesn't take much determination because anything can be written about well. Um, but finding something that you're really interested in and passionate about, uh, like I mentioned, um, actually I don't think I mentioned it, but my first book was sort of about Atlantis in some ways. I've always just loved that myth, that legend, and uh, I've, I've written multiple books now about finding it in different ways in different places. Um, it's really just about finding that thing or those things that you want to discover and then have your characters discover them the way that you would want in real life. Awesome. Vicariously through that character. <laughs> Great stuff. All right. Well, uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff, Nick. Thanks. Yeah, yeah listeners. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I always do that to VT. <laughs> I know. I'm always the one who doesn't say thank you, so. No thanks. No thanks to you, Nick. Thank you specifically, PT. Oh, awesome. <laughs> He's a nice guy. All right. Uh, if anybody wants to leave a review, we would appreciate it. If you can share, awesome. If you want to go read Nick's books, reach out. Sounds like there's ways to get him for free if you have no money, so that's cool. And if you have lots and lots and lots of money, there's lots of ways to give him money. So that's I'm awesome. Happy to take your money or happy to have you to read it either way. So Yeah. All right. And uh, that's all. I'm Justin Sloan. You can find me on Amazon or on Twitter at Justin M. Sloan. I'm P.T. Hilton. You can find me at P.T. Hilton, all those places. And I'm Paul Zeidman. You can find me on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z. And feel free to check out my screenwriting blog, MaximumZ.blog. This has been the Creative Writing Life Podcast. Everybody stay safe and healthy. And uh, don't forget, go write something. <laughs>